Hello, everybody. This is Gio and Joey and Ryan. It's not an official episode, but it's going to be on our channel. We just decided last minute to get together and talk. Ryan had a meme that uh, I'm going to put on the video once we're done editing. Uh, but that being said, how are you guys doing tonight? Let's start with Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Just just enjoying Sabbath, chilling, getting to my word, sharing offensive memes, you know, doing my thing. <laughs> Joey, yourself, how are you doing? Better than that is it. Yeah, Joey stole that line from me. Mercy. All right, so the meme that um, Ryan posted, which you'll see in the video, it's basically, it says, unpopular religion opinions that will get you in this position. And you see the picture. Christianity, and then Ryan wrote, Christianity is the only correct religion. All other religions are false. And if you reject Jesus, you're going to hell. So what do you mean by that? Because we agree, but I guess Joey and I might have a little nuance. Uh, I think if you're a Christian, you 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 kind of have to believe that. You have to believe it. You know, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And there's no sense in believing in something if you don't believe in it all the way. So if I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then it stands to reason that I believe that every other religion is not the way, is not the truth, and it's not the life. It's false. It's a false religion. And yeah, and, and obviously the gospel, you know, the gospel <laughs> message is that we have to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and and do do everything he commands us to do. And if you reject that, yeah, you're going to be standing before God at judgment day. And uh, I would not want to be on the other side of his judgment. Mercy. Joey, your thoughts. Yeah, that's not very PC, right? Because like today we're all supposed to, everybody's included and all cultures are equal. Um, but no, like I think you're just 100% right, right? The God, like the, in order for the way of Jesus to actually be the way, it has to be exclusive, right? Um, if he's God, right, if his claims about himself are true, then everything else follows as well. You can't be like, well, Jesus is true, but, you know, you know, I think Buddha is the path to the way. Or I think, like, all, what, what's the, what's the, that common thing Richard War? I think he was going and he was like, there are many paths to the same Universalism. Truth. Yeah, it's like, well, no, actually. I remember years ago, the first time I heard this articulated in this manner from, like, somebody famous. And I don't know if you guys remember this when it happened, or you've probably definitely seen it on videos, where Oprah is arguing with somebody who says, hey, Jesus is the only way. And she's like, no, nah, that can't be. And I remember for the first time watching that, thinking to myself, people actually believe that Jesus wasn't making an exclusive claim? And to me, that's part of the reason why when I came back to Christ, that I started with Christianity. Because when I felt God calling me back, I didn't want to assume it was Christianity. So I was wrestling with God and I said, okay, well, I'm going to test all these religions out to see if Christianity is true. But what made me start with Christianity was Jesus' claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And, you know, a lot of people think they're, you know, the five major religions, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, Hinduism, and Buddhism. Well, the other ones don't make that exclusive claim. So in essence, you only have two. Those are the four and Christ making an exclusive claim. So I said, all right, let me start with Christ, because if he is proven false, then, hey, I still got to go search in the other four. But if he's proven right, then I'm not wasting my time with the other four. So that kind of thinking helped me along. And I, I praise God, because once I found that he was the truth, um, I didn't have to waste my time with the other four, although I have studied the other four since. What made you guys become Christian? Or were you always in the faith? Let's start with Joe. Well, I was raised in the church. Um, but, you know, at a certain point, I had to decide, okay, am I going to stay or not? And I don't know. I, I just, I feel like, for me, it was the contrast between worldviews, right? So, like, I've always been, I've always been political, right? So I've always kind of cared about the political realm. And so those of us that are, like, political junkies, kind of had an inside or like an early peak at like the woke insanity before it like was mainstream and so like i saw that like even like when i was young and i'm like i want whatever the opposite of this worldview is like whatever the opposite of drag queens and debauchery and you know i mean even like as like in the dating culture today right like it's just where it's like human beings are basically meet right and they mm. exchange momentary um momentary Pleasure. impulses stimulated by you know the various bodily whatever that's like it's and the dating even the dating marketplace is just like 10 seconds swipe right left swipe right left and it's just i wanted whatever was the opposite of that and so i think for me staying was easy because i contrasted it to what the opposite was you know, uh, when I was growing up in the 80s, I'm dating myself. Madonna came out with the song Like a Prayer, and the video was considered scandalous. And I remember someone telling me, oh, it's going to get way worse. And you look at that video now, Like a Prayer, and it's like PC compared to the junk that's out now. And I wish I, rem I remember the voice. I just don't remember the face of who said that. Bro, talk about prophetic. Ryan, I heard you wrestling with some pages. Is that the scriptures? You got something you want to share or opine? Yeah, yeah no, no, no. Um, I, you know, uh, I, uh, you know, the the narrow way uh, in, in Matthew 7, 13, you know, Jesus says, you know, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are a few who find it, you know, and then he goes on to talk about like, like these false prophets that that's, you know, that seek to, to uh, deceive his sheep. And then he goes on to talk about how even people that think they're Christians are, 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 are he's going to say to them, I never knew you, you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So if he's saying that to Christians, what makes anybody think that other religions are valid 
if he's saying this mm-hmm. to people who are cl- claiming claiming to, to follow him, you know, it's just it's just one of those things that takes you back and it makes you really start to ask questions and uh, you know and, and challenges your faith. Two points I want to get out of that. One that I want to revisit later on because I want to stick to this thread of line. But the, uh, let me mention it now so don't let me forget. Is, is the fact that you said the narrow way, right? And that he's talking to Christians. So that being said, why aren't the three of us Roman Catholic? Right? It's the oldest church. So I want to get to that. Don't answer that now. Don't let me forget I want to get to that. But staying to this, right? The notion of lawlessness, right? Why doesn't he say something else? Get away from me those who practice unlovingness or unfaithfulness or ungratefulness or or not being gracious. Why do you think the emphasis on lawlessness? Joey, let me throw it to you and then throw it to Ryan. Well, that, I think what the law of God is answers the question. Because I believe that the law of God, like the Ten Commandments, is a transcript of his character. Right? So it is a law of love. So when he talked, so like some people think like there's this um, dichotomy between law and grace. And they think that, I don't, they think, so because, like, because we talk about the old covenant and a new covenant, so a lot of people will say like, well, the problem with the old covenant is the law. The law was burdensome, but I actually don't think that was the problem, right? Like, um, and I forget the exact passage, but it's in when Moses, when the Israelites are at Sinai, and God is God's coming down. The mountain is like there's an earthquake, and the mountain shake like shaking because of God's presence, and the people are scared, and so they tell Moses, they say, whatever God says to do. But you t- or tell God that whatever he says, we will do. And I think that's the core of the Old Covenant. The core of the Old Covenant is Israel and God's people trying to keep the law of their own accord. And the New Covenant in Christ is Christ having kept the law and making righteousness available as a free gift through Christ. Right. So in other words, the problem, what's gotten rid of, in my view, is not the law, but it's it's now Christ has been added, right? Which is the only way that the law can be fulfilled. But I just, yeah. I just, I think sometimes we try to differentiate. There's a lot of Christians who will say, "Oh, but the law, no, the law was, the law was burdensome." It's like the law is only burdensome outside of Christ, right? Yeah, I agree. I think there's even a passage where God says that the law, it like this is not burdensome. But also, I think a lot of people fundamentally misunderstand what the new covenant actually is. And I think Hebrews kind of fleshes that out. But, you know, like just to summarize it, it's the establishment of a new priesthood. That's better than the old priesthood. You know, like right now, we don't have enough animals in the world to atone for all our sin. We, we just don't. You know, so so that's why Jesus's sacrifice is so profound, because he is the perfect lamb. And there's a there's um, a part in Hebrews where it says that there was fault with the priest. And a lot of people interpret that to be like fault with the 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 law. No, no, it's fault with the priest. They could not they could not. um they had to make atonement for themselves before they could make atonement to other people. Jesus doesn't have to do that. He, mm-hmm. That's why he's the better priest. That's why he's the high priest. That's that's why it's a better covenant, because he doesn't have to make atonement for himself 
we can just go straight to him and we can receive we can receive forgiveness and we can and, and then after that we we stop we stop sinning we, we we try to pursue righteousness and holiness and and hold uh fast to his law you, you know the I don't know if this is the verse you were alluding to, but I wanted to go here. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7, speaking of the new covenant, he says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. Now here's the key, verse 8, which leads us to the reality. Verse 8 says, For finding fault with them, yes. not the covenant, not the law, Finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Well, he doesn't introduce any new laws in Hebrews. And this he's quoting from Jeremiah, which is in the Old Testament. Well, what law is he talking about? Obviously, the Ten Commandments and other laws that weren't done away with at the cross. And so here it is, but people want to do away with the law. So the question I throw back to you guys is why do they want to do away with the law? Let's start with Ryan this time and go to Joe. I think we've been conditioned to man to look at God's law with contempt. And I believe, I believe this is, this is part of the great deception. We're warned about a great deception. I believe this is part of it, you know, because we have been taught to to disregard God's law and treat it like it's a burden and, mm -hmm. and like it's it's something that that we can't do, that we're not capable of keeping it. And we have this grace message that's just just being preached throughout the church, which which don't get me wrong. We, we need grace, but mm -hmm. grace to do what? Grace to keep his law. You know, mm -hmm. that that's what the grace is for, that we turn from our sin. And we turn to his law and and people have completely and totally abandoned that. And the church has has watered down uh, the message just, you know, as a, in a Matt Walsh way, just love, just love. That's it. That's all. <laughs> you know, and it's like, no, no, it's not just it's it, it's way more than that. It's not just a, a feeling. Love is also an act. It's 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 something that we do with our, our very lives. It's obedience and our faith should compel us to action. It should compel us to keep his law. We should we should be keeping the law out of a, a deep sense of love and gratitude for the Lord, not just empty platitudes. You know, going back to Matthew chapter seven, right? Depart from me you who practice lawlessness. Yeah. You know, in a in a sermon I gave I was talking about the reason we don't know what love is, right? Think of all the ramifications, not ramifications, but all the, what people call love is because we don't know the law, that the law says marriage is between a man and a woman, right? The reason we have all this drug addiction and, and promoting drugs in laws, right? codifying them is because we don't know that the law says that your body is a temple of God. 
So the further we get away from knowing what the true law of liberty is, we're going to see foolishness in this world. Joey, go ahead. So the question was, um, why do people want to do away with the law? Um, well, I mean, this, the carnal man is an enmity with God, right? In other words, like if we, and like, obviously, right, like something we've talked about on the show before is like natural law, right? So everyone, everyone is born with, and God gives everyone a conscience so that we can understand right from wrong, but we still are sinful fallen people, right? And so outside of Christ, like if we, if, if we get rid of the law, right, what does that, what does that allow? Well, that allows us to, um, explore our own carnal desires right without restriction right or right, it allows us to kind of silence our conscience right which we have we say like oh well i'm in jesus right once saved always saved my least favorite phrase in the entire christian vernacular it's like well, once saved always saved so now you know if i can if i get a little grabby at the office with the intern or whatever i was saved man i was saved it's like, well, no, actually, I mean, you may have been, right? You may have had a real experience at one time, but you've fallen away, and you need to repent, right? And you need to sur- submit your life to Christ in all things. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, because I was listening to a Catholic podcast, and he was chiding Protestantism. He did, he was fair, he said not all Protestants, but he says, you know, where did this notion of one saved, always saved come from? Because that's not apostolic, and and it shows that people are moving away from the holy, you know, apostolic teachings. Obviously, he's claiming that the Catholic Church holds that. So that leads me to the question I asked earlier: Why aren't you Roman Catholic, Joey? Um, frankly, because I, I don't believe it's true. I mean, and that's it. But I think it's a good question that people have to ask, right? Especially because I, I grew up you know, in the Adventist church, right? So I grew up in a, in a Protestant church. And so the question was like, am I just a Protestant because that's the way I was inculcated and raised? And that, no, I, I don't think that's true because the fact is, like there was a time like when I would have liked to become a Catholic, right? Because there are things about Catholicism that I do like, that I think, I think there's a version of Protestantism where kind of, I don't know, like aesthetically, right? I do think beauty, you know, right? The truth, truth, um, goodness, and beauty are all important, right? I think they make life better. And Catholics are better at that. Um, and so there was a time in my life when I was like, okay, I wanted this form. But the fact is, I just couldn't go along with it. It was like, because I can't, like, yes, well, beauty is good. Beauty without truth is is nothing, right? It's, it's obviously not true beauty. And so it's like, I, I do believe, like, I'm specifically Protestant, not just because I was raised in it, but because there's just so much that in Catholicism that's just not biblical. And then, I mean, I don't know if you guys paid attention uh, a couple months ago, Abby Libby, uh, kind of a, a friend of Daily Wire Friends, she was posting some stuff about Catholicism and that she didn't agree with, and she just gets torrents of some of the most hateful comments from some of these trad catholic people like there was even some people like talking about like we need another crusade uh again i'm like what are you talking about like she just but i don't know i just feel like there's so much 
while there is beauty there, and they, they do have some of that stuff that's good, and particularly in, like, the 1960s and 70s in America, Catholics were actually more solid on, like, issues of sexuality and marriage and these things and abortion than a lot of the Protestants were. Um, I just think when you take the whole package, there's so much that you'd have to root out that's just not biblical. Ryan, yourself? Yeah, I uh, I mean, I guess technically I was baptized, you know, Roman Catholic, but, you know, mm-hmm. my, my family weren't churchgoers, and I was pretty much an atheist until I was 18 years old, and God kind of supernaturally, you know, changed the course of my life, and um, I, I think there's things that I respect about the Catholic Church. I mean, they're one of the oldest institutions in, in the world, and they maintain some cohesion and some unity that I don't I don't necessarily see among Protestants. Um, so that's something that, you know, I can at least respect. But doctrinally, I, I don't agree with, you know, some of the beliefs. And and um, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I also feel the same, same way, I guess, really about Protestantism, too, because they have, like I said, they have their problems. You know, the, the Pope, you know, the, the other day had this, um, you know, made this statement about, um, being able to bless homosexual uh, homosexuals, I guess not a marriage, but just a homosexual in general. I guess that's that's what he's getting at. That's a problem there. You see that, you know. But then we also have, though. I mean, Protestants or evangelicals or different denominations hosting drag queens in their churches. So you know, I can't can't criticize the Catholic Church and then ignore the gaping problems that are happening in the Protestant church but it's just not as isolated you know it's a little bit more spread out you know and i think you know there's problems there so and yeah well i mean my question wasn't necessarily to bash the catholic church but why aren't we roman catholic for me i'm not roman catholic because i value scripture too much and a lot of what i find in scripture i find roman catholicism doesn't adhere to and You know, I'm trying. I'd love to get a Roman Catholic who knows this stuff on the podcast because I've spoken to some on X, formerly known as Twitter, and I will ask them the question, do you hold tradition over scripture? And the two or three that I've spoken to on X have told me, no, they do not hold tradition over scripture. They hold them equal. But then I ask them the question about the Sabbath. Right. Like, how did this then? Why did you change the Sabbath? Because that's in their their catechism. I never get them to reply. Because by them saying they changed the Sabbath to Sunday shows that they have tradition or the magistrate or whatever you want to call it or the pope higher than scripture. I never get an answer for that. And look, for the most part, most of the Catholics I've spoken to, like face to face. They tell me they hold tradition over scripture, but these ex-theologians, not ex as in they're still theologians, but on X instead of Twitter, they tell me they hold them equal. So are the lay people right or are the the theolog- theologians right? I think the lay people are right because I've kind of studied it myself. And so different things like that. So that being said, right, we're not Roman Catholic for different reasons. Why do you think there is so much division among Protestantism? 
And on top of that, if the gates of hell are not going to prevail against God's church, then what is God's church? Right? With so much division, how do we find a church? Or what do you think he meant by that? Let's start with Joey and then Ryan. So what is the church? Um, so well, so I agree with the concept, right, of the church visible and the church invisible, right? And so this is what I would say is, like, I believe that all, all Christians, right, who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, even if they may not have every doctrinal thing right, right, but they truly believe what they said, they've studied the word, and to the, up to their, what they've been convicted by, you know, they're following Christ. Um, I believe they're all Christians, right? Regardless of denomination. Mm. Um, and, and, but that doesn't really answer the question, though, because then it's still, it's so spread out, right? And God's church, right? It's supposed to be a unified body, right? And so I would say, personally, like, we have to have faith, right, that in the end, right, God, like, there's the visible church, right, which is, so it's like the institution of the Catholic Church or the institution of the SBC, or in our case, the Adventist Church, or whatever, these institutions. So that's visible. But the invisible church is all of God's sheep, right? All of God's people that are throughout Christendom. And I believe, obviously, right, what is what is Christ saying is, like, the wheat and the tares are growing together. And I do believe before the end, right, God is going to, he's going to purify his church. Um, and so that, but, True churches is all people who truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? Yeah, I think I think the 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 most basic answer is that we've departed from his word. I mean, we've we started practicing lawlessness and we've forgotten who God is. I mean, you brought up the the, the Sabbath day being changed. I mean, you know, like a valid question to ask Catholics, just as valid to ask Protestants, because I've never been in more visceral debates than with <laughs> Protestant pastors that you know think I'm uh, a Judaizer because I I keep this out of you know um, so I think that's definitely uh, definitely part of it uh, they, they've forgotten his work you know and uh, I think you know right now uh, the reason the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church is because God's bringing back a remnant you know and and I don't think it's any coincidence, too, that I get connected with guys like you. You know, like mm -hmm. out of all the people on Twitter, I, I happen to get connected with a, a couple guys that also keep the Sabbath. It just that's mm -hmm. wild to me because I felt alone and on an island, and God's bringing mm -hmm. me, you know, to to more people that actually, you know, are studying this thing out and seeking Scripture and 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 trusting what His Word says and and holding fast to it and and understanding that that his words are life, you know, and that this is the way and that, that no matter what people's traditions are, we're going to stand on what scripture says above everything else. And I think that's the beauty of Protestantism is that we don't have to rely on human, you know, human uh, weakness or human fa fallibility. Is that a right word? Am I pronouncing that right way? Anyway, Right? Humans aren't infallible. And so, but what is, is the word of God. And through the Holy Spirit, I like to say that the Bible is the only book in which the author can be present with you. Right? If you invite the Holy Spirit in, he will guide you. 
And this word has stood the test of time. And if we study it and surrender to it, then it will it will bind us, right? It will bring God's remnant people together. That being said. So I have a quote about something that Ryan was saying. So something to share with those Protestant pastors is some quotes by Roman Catholics themselves. These are official quotes. So this first one is from the Convert Catechism of Catholic Doctrine by Reverend Peter Gierman. So the, the way catechisms work is they'll ask a question, and then it's an answer, and it's in written form. So the question is, which is the Sabbath day? Answer, and this is in the Catholic Catechism. It says, uh, Convert Catechism. It says, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church and the Council of Laodicea transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Um, and then there's another quote, okay, and this is this is from um, Reverend Stephen Keenan's Doctrinal Catechism, another Catholic. It says, question, have you any other way of proving that the Church has power to institute festivals of precept? Answer, had she not such power, she could not have done that in which all modern religion, religionists agree with her. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. And one more... Or, oh, no, never mind, that one's not there. Okay, wait. Um, now, well, while you're looking for it, now go ahead. But the Catholic Church itself claims right the fact that it had the authority to ch- it had the authority to change the sabbath as like one of the reasons why they're the mother church right because they look at it from their perspective and they're like well we ch-, like the only authority for this change is the fact that we did it and all of these protestant churches that say they're separate from us right they're still doing the thing Right, they're claiming to be sola scriptura, but they're still doing the thing that the only authority for is the is the Catholic Church, and so it's like they look at that as like, and this is them talking openly. It's like, well, this is a mark that we really are God's true church because we could change the law, right? And I'm like, well, I, I see a few problems with that, but <laughs> a few? I can give you a boatload of that, Ryan. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Dude, that's that's wild, man. You know, and that's just like that's something that they don't. How do you how do you have the authority to change a day that God? Hey, Ryan, real quick. Yeah, Ryan, real quick. Have you heard those quotes before? I have not heard those quotes before. Oh no, no, yeah. yeah. And I have a I have the same catechism because I use them to show people. It's nuts, bro. Yeah, that that's that's wild to me. Yeah, it is. It is wild. So that being said, right. Anybody who may be listening to this in the future here. Okay, we advocate that the law wasn't done away with. How do we balance, though, the fact that we're saved by grace? Like, how do you tell somebody who may be thinking that? The three of us understand that, but how do you articulate it for somebody who says, but wait a minute, salvation is by grace. Well, how do you balance that? Go ahead, Ryan. I'd say, I mean, what's the grace for? Again, you know, going back to what I said earlier, the grace is for we're in sin and God wants us to turn from our sin and follow. That's the grace. 
You know, like he could strike us down right now, dead, judge us, boom, right in the spot. He doesn't do it. He gives us an opportunity to repent, and that's a sign of his grace. So, but you, in order to receive that grace, you have to stop doing what's gonna con- what's condemning you, because you're when you when you sin, you stand condemned. You know, there's um, God, I'm trying to think of the scripture, um. But it, it basically says that if if you if you sin, you stand condemned already. And I actually think ah, not one of I think one of the more popular uh, verses. Uh, well, let Joey jump in while you look for that. Joey, yes. your thoughts? Yeah. So my 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 thought is, how do we reconcile, or how do we explain? Um. Well, I guess the biggest thing I would say is like we are saved by grace, right? Like in other words. There is no amount of good works that we could do that would save us, right? We are saved only by the blood of Christ, right? Because every single one of us is a sinner. Um, but when we're saved, right, like that is going to have evidence in our lives, right? So like I, I like the famous quote, it's like justification is the work of a moment, right? Sanctification is the work of a lifetime. So it's like, it's not that once you're saved, you're never going to mess up, but it's like, once you're like, if you're in Christ, right, you've been saved, um, then if that's truly the case, what well, you're going to grow in him, you're going to have a relationship with him, you're going to become more like him. And that's not good. Like I said, that's not going to mean like you're baptized one day and you're a saint the next, but it means you're baptized and then you continue growing and you continue walking in Christ. And if you never have any fruit, right, if you're still the same adulterous, you know, porn addicted, alcoholic that you were before there's no power of the like where is the power of the spirit in your life right does 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 the spirit not have power to change lives and the free sinners so i just i don't think i don't think grace and and works are at odds but i think grace is what makes works possible yeah. Ryan, did you find that scripture? Yeah, I, I got this scripture. So John 3.16, one of the most famous scriptures of all mm-hmm. time, but nobody reads past it. So, for <laughs> God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe in uh, believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the combination that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So, so he, he says it right. You're condemned already. Like if you don't believe, if you reject my message, if you reject my grace, you you're marked for condemnation. So the grace that he's giving us is is to turn out of that, you know, like um, and, and, and refrain from sin, and yeah. and and start pursuing his righteousness. You know, I like to say that. Look, I, a lot of these people, I think, and I don't think they do it on purpose, but they are under the assumption that in the Old Testament you were saved by keeping the law, and that's couldn't be further from the truth. Justification by faith comes from the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 2. And so what they misunderstand is that the law was never, and I repeat that, never intended to save. The law's purpose has always been to point us to the Savior. I like a famous preacher, likes to say that the law is like a mirror. 
And when you look in the mirror and you see you're all filthy, you know where to clean. And you know you need soap. Well, the law is like a mirror. When you see your filthiness, then you know to go to Christ, the cleansing agent. But if you don't have that mirror, and that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to remove the mirror. If you don't have the law, then how are you going to recognize your sin? And in Romans, my favorite book of the Bible, Romans chapter 3, verse 31, after talking about how we're justified apart from the law, then he concludes Romans chapter 3 with this verse, which I love. He says, do we then nullify the law through faith? And he says, may it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. So look, the three of us here, and I'm talking to the audience now, the three of us here, we keep the law of God, but not to save us. It's because it's a response to the fact that he loves us. Imagine the thief on the cross. Oh, yes, I've been saved. And then let's say he survived the crucifixion. You think he's going to go on stealing? No, he's gonna. his whole life is going to change. And that's what we're advocating. That being said, let me go back to the beginning of this conversation. Go ahead, Joey. <laughs> okay, I got another passage that I got to bring up on this topic. It's a little okay. bit longer to read it. So it's James 2, 20 to 26. It says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off? in a different direction, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so there is the perfect relationship, right? No, we're not saved by works, but the works give evidence of the fact of what's going on inside us, right? And it's all Christ. So like that's what, that's what sometimes people will, will accuse me of. And in debates on this, they'll say, well, see, you don't believe that Christ is sufficient, right? Or you believe that something has to be added to Christ. It's like, no, Christ is the whole reason why any of it's possible. There is nothing in me that can keep the law of God. There's nothing in Geo. There's nothing in Ryan, right? It's only by the power of Christ that we can even keep the law. Because like, what does Christ do, right? Um, he says, Moses said you should not commit adultery, but I'm telling you, don't even lust after a woman in her heart. Well, here's the thing. If you believe that the law is just the physical act of adultery, I can do that. I cannot do that in my own power. Right? If you believe that the law is just don't murder someone, I cannot physically murder someone in my own power. But when you actually understand the fullness of the law, like, okay, well, I can't not hate people in my own power. Hating people is like what I do best, right? Lusting <laughs> after an attractive woman. That just comes naturally to me. Right? It's only by the power of Christ that the that the fuller extent of the law can even be lived out in my life. There's nothing righteous in me except that it's except that that I imitate Christ, there's nothing righteous. And you know, in the Bible and the Bible says Sin is a transgression of the law. Well, if you do away with the law, yeah. how are you going to know sin? 
Ryan, jump yeah. in there. Yeah, no, I want to add too. You run into problems. Like there's a there's a clip that that went around a while back of uh, uh, Dennis Prager basically oh, advocating yes. for being able to watch pornography. Like there's nothing wrong with like like pornography. You know, mm-hmm. we could, it's not technically adultery. And I'm just like, this is insane. This is crazy. <laughs> yes. I, I was like, how, how do you get around that? But that's that's what happens when when you 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 like it's only works it's only your actions and not just the the spiritual spiritual condition of your heart another thing too just just to throw this out there like so we talk a lot about works well you know like i I don't believe works save you but i do believe that you know there's a lot of evidence that your works can certainly damn you and revelation Mm -hmm. 2 you read through that what are what are all the churches being judged for by your yeah, works, you know, yeah. you do this, 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 this. They're all being judged according to what they've what they've done. Yeah, and I think that's obvious because hold on, Joey. I think that's obvious because your actions determine who your well, not determine your actions reveal who your Lord is. Yeah, right. Your actions reveal who your Lord is, and if we go around disregarding what our Lord says then we have bigger issues than the actions we're doing, right? And so our actions reveal who is leading us. Joey, go ahead. No, I was just going to say basically the same thing, right? Yeah, it's just the, our actions, right? The reason why that's the standard that's used to judge is because those actions are evidence of whether or not, right, we've responded to the grace of Christ. If we're still living in sin, well, then we obviously, and we've not made any progress, we've not grown in righteousness at all, well, we're obviously not in Christ. Because if we were in Christ, there would be evidence of it. It's like, like That's why I think it's good that Jesus used the example of the, the, tr- the, the, fig, the tree? fig tree. Because like, he's like, if the fig tree, how do you know if the fig tree is good? Well, it produces figs. If it doesn't produce figs, all it's good for is to be cut down and cast in the fire. Okay, so now let me go back to the beginning of this first question, right? We talk about Christ and we talk about his law. How then do we reconcile the fact that there are people in other religions and other denominations and in other, even perhaps atheists in the future, who may be saved because they're living according to the light? How do we reconcile that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one gets to the Father but through me. Yet we know that God has people everywhere. So how do we balance that and reconcile that to give hope to, I don't want to say hope, but not to give false hope, but to give hope to somebody who may be born in a Muslim country or in India or somewhere outside of Protestant America or even in, you know, Roman Catholicism. I'll go first. I think uh, one one of the reasons that I guess one of the things is that they will. uh, So if you're if you've accepted Christ or if you believe in Christ and it's genuine, sincere faith, I think God God's going to bring you into the fold. He's not going to he's not going to lead you in a different direction. But I do think there's a certain responsibility on pastors and church leaders to actually teach them the whole truth, teach them the law. And when they learn the law, when they understand this, they will become convicted. 
You know, nobody gets it right, right, right away. You know, like, like they, 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 there's still things I, I'm learning. You know, but that's the process of sanctification, and I think everybody goes through it uh, sincerely. But I think it has to come from a genuine desire to to know who God is. And if you know who God is, then you're going to be studying Scripture, and 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 God's Word is going to do its work. You know, it's going to cut through the darkness of our heart. It's going to speak to us, and it's going to reveal the truth to us, or He's going Let to me- reveal the truth. Yeah, let me clarify the question a little bit more, perhaps. Yeah. Because I agree with what you said, but let me just clarify the question more. How did people in the Old Testament who had never heard of the name of Jesus get saved? That's basically, right? Because, they, you know, I met a woman, a woman, a couple of years ago, living here in America, who had never heard of Jesus. Here in America, for crying out loud. So there are still pockets of darkness, which is why Christ said, you know, this gospel shall be preached to the whole world. Then the end will come. So how were people in the Old Testament saved, basically? And how are people in darkness saved who may not even get the opportunity to hear the name of Christ? That's more clarification of the question. Because I I still think God is working to save those people. Go ahead, Joe. And then we go back to Ryan. So Acts 17, verse 30 says, uh, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Right? I think some verse, uh, King James says, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now command of all men everywhere to repent. And so, um, listen, Jesus is the only way of salvation, right? And if you reject Jesus, right, like your soul's in danger, right? Like you, you shouldn't do that, right? That's very dangerous. But to your question of um, if there's people right who they've never actually heard the gospel, they've never heard his name, like they go through their whole life, they're in some remote tribe. Well, I this goes back to kind of the idea of natural law and the idea, like if you look at Romans one, that God has put, um, God has put there are certain things about the law that God has put on the heart of everyone, and so I think if there are truly sincere people who follow that in their heart. Right. Well, first of all, I believe that if that person were to hear the gospel, then they would accept it. But say that they die before that happens or whatever. Um, listen, and that's why I, I like to say ju- the, ju- the judgment is above my pay grade. Right. <laughs> so I can't look at this person and say, well, would that person have accepted it if they heard it? But God, who knows everything, he knows, oh, did that person who die? Had they heard the gospel, would they have accepted it? God knows that. I don't. And so, like I said, I like some decisions are above my pay grade, and I'm grateful for that. Ryan, go ahead. Now that I've clarified yeah. the question. I think uh, people in the Old Testament, they they did have faith. That's mm-hmm. a saving faith. I think if Jesus had showed up on the scene right there and then, they would have believed because they knew who God was. They understood that. His law was a was who he was. It was part of who he was. So if they had this understanding of his law, then when Jesus showed up on the scene, they would have had an understanding of who Christ. They were like, "Oh, it's him. It's God," mm-hmm. and they would have they would have believed. I believe that there's a passage that says, "Blessed are those who who believe and don't see." I believe you know it's referring mm-hmm. to these people that believe and don't actually see him, but they have this faith to do what is right, to do what is good, to do what is righteous. And they're saved as a result because, of course, they would believe. Jesus. Of course, if if you keep his commandments, you know, and this is in First John, I think two. It says, 
Now, by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we know him. I believe they were doing that, and a lot of people are doing that in the Old Testament. Yeah, and I think, you know, specifically, let me get to the Old Testament for a second, but specifically about modern-day people who may not know him. I think— I like what you were saying, Joey, is that they're living to the dictates of their conscience, which is, we believe, by based on Romans 1 and Romans 2, which talks about when the Gentile who does not have the law does instinctively that which the law says is proving that he has the gospel in his heart. And so the, the bottom line for me is, and I remember studying that out because those questions will pop up. What about the Muslim, like in Gaza, who never heard of the gospel or in India and all that? If they're living up to the dictates of their conscience, being led by the Holy Spirit, they may not understand the intricacies we have. But the key for me was, if they're saved, the only way they're saved is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's still, when they get to heaven, they'll be like, oh, Here's the person who saved you. It wasn't Buddha. It wasn't, you know, some Indian God or Muhammad. It was Christ. And in the Old Testament, I like to say that the lamb, right, that was slain, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But before Christ came, that was a precursor, right, a show and tell of what was to come. So they were saved on the promise of the coming Messiah. You and I have never seen Christ. We're saved on the Messiah that did come. And so in the end, if anybody is saved, it will be through Jesus Christ. Whether they knew him intimately, like we know him through his word, or they knew him through natural law. The last question before we wrap this up. If we're saved by grace, then why is doctrine so important? Because we're not saved by works, but why is doctrine? Why do you think doctrine is so important? Because the Bible, especially Paul, emphasizes the importance of one not being deceived about that the Bible's good for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. If we're saved by grace, though, why is knowledge so important? Let's start with Joe. Well, because truth is important, right? Like, it matters, like, like, obviously, we all believe in objective reality, right? And so if something is objectively true or not, that matters, right? And I think, actually, not focusing on doctrine is a lot of part of the reason why our, the church in America is so splintered and is so um, just lukewarm. Right to borrow a quote from uh, Revelation, um, and I think the reason is is because people are not actually rooted. Right, doctrine. Right. Well, of course, doctrine doesn't save you, but true doctrine, right? The scriptures, what the scriptures teach, right? What uh, what is what is, the Bible says, right? These are they which testify of me, right? So, what the Bible teaches, what Scripture teaches, that is all pieces of who God is and what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And so, of course, it should be rooted. Of course, church shouldn't just be 30-minute coffee bar and, you know, some metrosexual preacher in skinny jeans and a tight shirt, right? You know, whatever. Like, 
entertainment. Like it should actually be people come, the people of God coming together, fellowshipping around the word, right? You know, growing in brotherly love, but over something, right? Something solid. That's what doctrine is about. It's about having a solid um, foundation for one's faith. Right. Yeah, I also think sound doctrine is what's going to protect us from the lies that, you know, are going to be flooding into our lives and trying to convince us to not believe in this, you know, and I like what Joey said, too. It's it's a way for us to unify, you know, and, and come together. And I think one of the serious missteps of the modern church is that they become seeker sensitive and have have given up basically sound doctrine, given up studying the scripture, giving and th this is how we know him. So if we don't have sound doctrine, how are we going to know him? How are we going to be able to 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 stand the test? You know, how are we going to be able to not be carried away by vain philosophy and deceit? It's not going to happen. This is this is our hedge. This is our protection. You know, um, and we absolutely need it. Yeah, and I like some of the words you use, Ryan. There, and I agree with Joey as well. Is that yeah, we are all of us here, the three of us, and everybody in this planet is headed towards the test. And are we going to pass the test, not by our own works, but because we know him and doctrines tell us about him. And the more we know him, the more we will trust in him because it's going to get dark. You mean two verses in the gospel that scare me are words from Jesus where he says, when the son of man comes, will he find faith in the earth? That's how bleak it's going to be. That he himself is saying, will he find faith in the earth? And then the second one is, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And I don't want that happening to me or to my friends. And so I tell people, look, we're saved by grace, but there's a final exam coming. And look, and I don't know about you, sometimes I was a slacker in high school, and I would pass the exam without studying, but I'd be sweating bullets the whole time. And yet when I took an exam that I did study for, that I was prepared for, man, it was easy peasy, nice and easy, right? And so the more you know him through his word, the more confident you will have in him when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Let me hear final words from Joey, Ryan, and then I'll close this. Go ahead, Joey. Yeah, and I was just going to say one more thing about why I think doctrine is important, right? And so... Obviously, uh, Gio and I are Seventh-day Adventists, right? I know you just describe yourself as Torah-observant Christian, correct, Ryan? Yeah, I guess that's the, the label. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just read, I just read the Bible. <laughs> Bible-believing Christian. Go ahead. So, like, my comment kind of has to do with something I've noticed about our faith tradition, right? Adventism, and like when I look at like some of the pioneers of the Adventist. Right, because one of the things you know in our name, the, the Adventist part is, you know, that we believe Jesus is is coming soon. Obviously, we don't know the day or the hour, but we believe we're in the time of the end. And when you look at, uh, like, you know, I'll listen to transcripts of like from our, well, I'll read transcripts of like our early pioneers, and then I'll I'll listen to sermons from even in the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, and there was sermon after sermon by Adventist pastors, like lots of their sermons was about. Jesus is coming soon. We need to be getting ready. And today, right, I go into Adventist churches, right, and I listen to Adventist churches on YouTube, and hardly anybody is preaching on that. And it's like, like uh, if I was to chronicle the sermons in, in Adventist churches that I hear, it's like maybe 
95% of sermons are on the soon coming of Jesus. And it's like, and I, I believe like the signs have never been clearer that Jesus is coming soon. It's almost like, like the devil is kind of like wooing us to sleep, right? It's like we're talking about other things. And it's just like, I think this focus on doctrine brings us back to what's important, right? Because then when we understand doctrine, we understand what the Bible says, well, we can understand that the events that we see around us, the confusion, the, right, the love of many growing cold, right? We understand the news as signs of birth pains, right? And obviously, like, like I said, we never know, no one knows the day or the hour, but we can look and we can say, oh, all the things that the Bible said would be happening in the end of times are happening. <laughs> and so I just think focusing on sound doctrine makes sure that we're not, we don't miss important things. I, Ryan, good work. Yeah, I, uh, I agree, Joey. And, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely believe that, you know, he's the end is drawing closer and, and the days are quickly approaching. And I think now more than ever, Christians have to live with this sense of urgency because the Lord isn't going to wait much longer. And that's why I'm so, I, I guess, straightforward and, and blunt is that, you know, I've I've grown up seeing these pastors and these preachers, you know, preach this watered down message. And right now the world has bought into a lot of lies and they desperately need to hear the truth. And I want to be somebody that's always willing to say it, not because I hate, hate people. I love it. It's literally the opposite. I love people and I want them to understand the love of God. And I want them to understand that. That, that our days are short, our days are numbered. You know, we don't know when the Lord's going to come back, and we don't know when we might draw our last breath. And that should instill in us a sense of urgency to preach this gospel message, to share the truth, and to spread the love of God with everybody that we come in contact with, and bring them into the fold. And I think, uh, yeah, that's th those are my final thoughts. Uh, believe in the gospel and uh, repent. Amen, brother. And I'll close with this. Because I love this. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I'll close with this. You know, for we opened up with how if you don't believe in Christ, you're going to go. If you do not believe in Christ, you're going to go to hell. And that's true. But there's nuance to that. The thing I want to say in Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, this is final message. It's a symbolic book. But basically that final message says, come out of her, out of Babylon, out of the confusion, out of religions that aren't centered in Christ come out of her. But I love what he says. He says, my people. In other words, God has people everywhere, but he's calling them into a closer faith walking relationship with him. Do not miss the signs to draw closer to him. And the three of us, that's all we want. When we study our Bible, when we observe God's law, all we want is to draw people into a faith-saving relationship. He has one church, and he has a remnant. And that remnant is gathering together, like Ryan alluded. He's not part of my denomination, but he's studying the Word of God. He's starting to realize some of the things we have in common. And we need to keep in his Word and call people out of darkness, and I love how the verse says, into his marvelous light. And that's what we want. So until next time on the Gio and Joey show with special guest Ryan, God bless. Take care. Thank you. Bye.